Now, Rob, Rob, yeah. is that is that the Dance of the Wolves music, yeah, or is I... that the theme, or is or is it okay. the theme music to the recent awards that you've been involved in? <laughs> I wish it could have been. Yes, no, <laughs> the Oscar, was... Oscar music is <laughs> exactly. Uh, it starts with wolves. Yes, I, I, I was. Uh, I've been. This is actually. I should get this out of the way because this is a reason why. I've watched very few films in the last week or so. And mm-hmm. yeah, I was really, really lucky to produce a live award show for the British Independent Film Awards, which was a live stream, obviously, because they couldn't all do it as they normally do it. So that was amazing. I can imagine. I, yeah, I haven't ever done anything, you know, in film, even though that's my passion. So yeah, it was it was really cool. Go on, name drop. Who have you spoken to this week that may have more than a million? <laughs> well, <bank> listen, <laughs> So this, this, this is the uh, it's the independent film awards. So yeah, the, the, the films get... aren't massively mainstream. I didn't speak to anyone who actually accepted an award because it was all live. No one knew. It was Tom Felton who presented it. Malfoy. Malfoy. Yeah. So yeah, I was obviously speaking to him because um, he was cool. presenter. Us producing. So yeah, it was really good fun. Did you get any sound bites for our podcast from him? <laughs> I didn't. No, uh, you're right. It's absolutely Rob. Rob, let the side down. I don't know. He did mention my name a few times. He decided to place any potential technical issues right at the top of the show on me as producer (laughs) behind the camera. So I did get a few name checks throughout, which was a little bit disconcerting, given it was a huge technical feat because it was just basically a massive Zoom session (laughs) where we had to get any one of 100, 200 people linked up just like that. But anyway, it was good fun. As I say, it was a bit of an education in terms of some of the films because they were it was the Independent Film Awards. It wasn't the mainstream films. However, you know, Anthony Hopkins won an award for The Father, which he stars alongside uh, Olivia Coleman, which looks an amazing film. Rocks, which for people who into independent cinema, that's been a massive success, um, which I saw, which was really good. But yeah, as I say, they're, they're films that fly a little bit more under the radar. So that's basically... So hang on, hang on, hang on, what? hang on. You, you got to speak really to Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. Is that right? No, 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 I didn't speak to them. If I, spoke I bet you did. I no, bet I you did, did. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, if, if I, listen, if I'd spoken to Olivia Cole on Anti Hopkins, I think you would have known about it by now. Okay. But anyway, it was cool. So, sounds well, cool. That was amazing. So, yeah, that's my excuse, really, why I haven't really watched much, much TV or film. My only kind of like news, because I haven't got any further with WandaVision, is I have finally got through Schitt's Creek, which is an amazing series. So I've managed to do that. And I started watching a film, the Tom Hanks film, which I believe you've seen, haven't you? All the way through. What is it called? News of the World. There you go, News of the World. So I did mm-hmm. start watching that. I was a little bit intrigued, but because Dances with Wolves was one of our films this week, mm-hmm. I was a little bit westerned out, shall we say, which is why I probably didn't uh, watch too much of it. Anyway, what about you? 
So I have caught up with TV. I have had half term this week, so I've had a little bit of chill time. Plus, I had to take a COVID test, so I had to stay inside for a while. So I've actually been a bit of a couch potato, a bit lazy this week. And the COVID test was negative, by the way. It was fine. It was fine. And I knew it was going to be fine. It was fine. Yeah, so I caught up with WandaVision. <laughs> it does sound like a band name. It really does. But it's, <laughs> it's i tell you what, if you... If you don't like the first episode, probably skip right through, probably to the end of the third episode and watch onwards because it gets so much better. It really does. It's got Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany in it, as you know, from the Avengers series, Wonder and Vision. And they're kind of going through each episode. They leap a decade into the TV world. So I think they start in like the the 50s or 60s and then they go to the 70s, 80s, 90s in a TV show that starts with like a I Love Lucy kind of style TV program. But then little glitches happen, things go wrong. And that's where it kind of evolves. And uh, really, what is this kind of world that Wonder has created for her and Vision? Ah, oh, I see. That's Wonder Vision. Um, um, got Firefly Lane, which is really good. A bit more for the girlies, I would say. Uh, Catherine Heigl and Sarah Chalk. Sarah Chalk used to be in Roseanne. The, she was the second. Ah, uh, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. So that's all about their life growing up from teenage to today and the hurdles that they have with men and all that sort of stuff, really. And bad parenting that they've got as well as part of that. But quite a good watch. Uh, that's on Netflix. And then we've got also on Sci-Fi, I think it's Sci-Fi Channel, but you find it on Sky, Resident Alien with Alan Tudyk. And you might remember him as a pirate from Dodgeball. That's quite entertaining as well. Um, basically, an, an alien lands on an Earth and he takes over somebody's body and then he realises this person's body is actually a doctor and then he has to actually go and save people's lives. He wasn't supposed to touch Earth, but he was supposed to completely obliterate human race. But it is good. It's a good watch. Film-wise, I have, I'm telling you, I have been a bit of a couch potato this week. We've got To Olivia, which I was literally just nearly finished. So I'm going to give you the synopsis. I haven't seen quite the end of this, but it's it's a good watch, actually, what I've seen so far. It's on Sky Cinema. It's got Hugh Bonneville playing Roald Dahl, and it's got Keely Hawes, who plays Patricia Neal, his wife at the time. And it starts really from, he's just released his book, James and the Giant Peach, which in those days, actually, when he released it, was a bit of a flop. He only sold like 2,000 copies of it. And he's in the middle of writing his Charlie and the Chocolate Factory book. That's where we're catching him at the moment. And he's struggling with inspiration and things like that but during this time period his daughter dies which is horrible she dies of the measles and it's him trying to overcome that and his wife as well and how their relationship proceeds after that I wouldn't say it's a majorly difficult watch, not like um, the other film that we were talking about the other day, which is... Pieces of a Woman. Pieces of a Woman. It's not as strong as that, but it is sad and moving and it's just very sweet where you get these little nuggets of information where he interjects some ideas that are coming from children and other people that then goes into Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and other books going forward as nice. well, i say. So it's, it's a nice watch. Uh, News of the World, released last week on Netflix. Paul Greengrass is the director. Tom Hanks plays Captain Jefferson Carl Kidd and Helena Zengel as Joanna. Basically, it's five years after the Civil War and Captain Kidd just loses everything, really. He loses his wife, he, he loses everything, but he does carry around with him in a satchel these newspapers and he goes to town to town reading the news to, to audiences. Along his, his travels, he finds this girl he calls Joanna. Her name's not really Joanna, but he names her Joanna or Johanna. And she was taken by 
by the Kiowa people, Indians, I guess you could call them, Kiowa tribe. And fortunately, her German family, she was German, were horribly killed and, and the people around her as well. It's a Western. It's got uh, Tom Hanks gunslinging in it as well, which is quite a good watch. I've never seen, I don't think Tom Hanks has done a Western before. So it was quite good to see that. Paul Greengrass did Captain Phillips and... It is a fairly good watch. Is it a patch on what we're going to review today, Dance of Wolves? I'm going to leave it for our viewers to decide on that one. But it is a good journey to watch. There is some gunslinging along the way and the, the landscape is breathtaking. It really was. It is designed really to be on the big screen, I think, not on the small screen. But we're going through COVID time, so so be it. Um, the other film I watched is Contagion, which 2011. I'm probably the last person to watch this now, going through what we're going through with COVID. Got Matt Damon, Gwyneth Paltrow, Kate Winslet, Jude Law and Lawrence Fishburne. And they're basically trying to solve how we can get out of this pandemic. And it's very close to what we've been going through today. So it's it's a good watch as well. So I recommend those three films and also those TV shows. Is that wow. all right? You have been, I don't know. I've done some running. I've done some running in between as okay. well. So I haven't been a complete couch potato. I have, uh, I've done a bit of running. I don't think it's like, you know, being a couch potato. I should say, I think it's very commendable to watch so much. That's all I'm thinking. I need a bit of a chill. So it's been quite good, actually, because it's usually quite full on, a bit like what you've had this week. It's, it's normally full on for me uh, yeah. most weeks. So it's nice to have a bit of relaxation. And um, my kids are happily playing games and we've been doing lots of board game playing as well. So, yeah, it's been a good week. Cool, cool, cool. Right. Well, shall we crack on? What are we going to tackle first? Should we go with the old and then into the new? Yeah, let's do that then. So Dances with Wolves is first up then. Dances with Wolves, yeah. So that was on my film list last week. So I was a teenager when this came out and I can't remember whether I watched this all the way through, whether I watched it at the cinema, whether I watched it on probably VHS at the time. But I remember some, some parts of it and it was nice to piece everything all together Actually, we watched it the whole way through. Three hours, one minute of the film, the whole way through, because it was so engaging. That's impressive. Can you believe it? It is yeah. impressive. We were debated whether to break it up halfway through, but actually continued because it was a good watch. It's well acclaimed with the critics. And I mean, I added this really because I have very few Westerns on my list, really. And I know I watched it and I thought, must have watched it at the time. And I thought it was good, but I just couldn't remember everything. So released in 1990, directorial debut from Kevin Costner. And Costner plays Yankee Union Civil War soldier and Lieutenant John Dunbar. At the start of this film, looks like he could, he could almost lose his leg because he's in battle at the time. And he, he checks himself out of the infirmary and he, he's kind of fed up of hanging around, waiting for the Dixies or the, or the confederable soldiers to try and attack them and vice versa. So he just jumps on a horse, canters into the middle of the two soldiers and becomes a hero because actually at the end of it, the Yankees or the Union soldiers actually take over and, and win that part of the war. So he's seen as a hero and he gets full doctor's attention. He gets made lieutenant and then assigned to a remote Western outpost where over a long period of time he befriends wolves and also in the neighbouring Indian tribe called Sioux. But towards the end of the film, he's seen as a traitor by the Union soldiers and they treat him so badly even though he's a lieutenant and won that part of the war, that's kind of forgotten. He's a traitor because he's, he's sided with the Indians and he looks like one of the Indians as well. So I've obviously skipped quite early on, left out the middle bit and gone right to the end here. What I love about this film, there's so much to learn about the Sioux Indians and their 
enemy, the Pawnee tribe culture. And it's actually interesting because I think we followed the Pawnees in The Revenant. Ah, mm. yes. Great yeah. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which the Pawnees looked very much more modern than the Sioux Indians. The Sioux tribe looked a bit more traditional looking, I would say. It's just fascinating how he tries to communicate with them. They, they teach each other their languages. They share food they eat they have to teach each other how to hunt uh, how to celebrate and respect one another and respect life generally including you know animals and plants and and it just has a lot of charm to this film the outback where it's shot is also vast and it, you never get that landscape in the uk to be honest there'll be a building somewhere that's that's in in that area but for someone that's a horse lover which i'm really i'm not a horse lover but somebody that enjoys horse riding it must be amazing to freely just gallop across the land that you see in the, in this, this movie the cinematography and the landscape were really impressive this film won seven oscars best picture best director best writing screenplay best cinematography rightly so best sound best film editing best original score so it did really well in 1990 and it got a heap of nominations too for best actor for kevin costner best supporting actor graham green and best supporting actress mary mcdonnell in this film as well so i'm going to stop there rob i'd love to get your thoughts yeah i mean i was like you i i couldn't remember whether i saw this at the cinema or on VHS. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I definitely watched it on VHS, but I can't remember the first time it was at the cinema or not. I kind of hope it was. I mean, I, it just had a massive impact on me when I was younger. I think it was primarily because my idea of Westerns was very much grounded in the more traditional type of Western film that I suppose you know from the John Wayne period Mm -hmm. and although there were the spaghetti Westerns I suppose those two approaches of what I kind of would say were Westerns and I kind of found this to be you know that there wasn't really a huge amount of warfare in this it was more a film about this one man who just sought to live in harmony with his neighbours who happened to be Sioux Indians. And I think that taking away any type of prejudice or whatever you may call it, and just basically see how these two cultures clashed mm. and, and the willingness mm. the willingness for John Dunbar to be there purely peacefully and how that whole, that whole journey kind of unfolded, I just thought was just really fascinating. And, and really just, I don't know, I just found the whole thing kind of very endearing and in terms of scale is phenomenal in fact when i think about it now i mean i wish i could go and see it at the cinema because like you say the scenery was absolutely stonking wasn't it phenomenal yeah it was amazing I believe it was filmed in South Dakota and they were literally in the middle of nowhere without the studio or anyone really looking in on them. And apparently it's an incredibly special experience making it. I mean, I think I've said this before about Costner. The Kev. The Kev, yeah. His delivery is very, you you could say it's quite monosyllabic. There's not much emotion in the way he taught. Well, for me, there's not really anyway no but he's quite expressive when he yeah when he kisses yeah, yeah. for example he's very passionate when he kisses, when he kisses. He's, got six, he's got six kids <laughs> do you think he's always like that with his wife <laughs> i'm like, like 
Okay, there. Well, he's got six kids with his wife, or he's just got six kids? I think he's had one wife. Uh, he's got six kids, or he's maybe had two wives. I don't know. I counted up and thought, blimey, he's got six kids. But yeah. he is very passionate when he kisses someone. He was like that on JFK. Remember that? I said, I mentioned it, that he was very overly passionate when he kisses his wife. Well, I mean, it's an interesting point you've raised. I, did, I didn't, I wasn't really thinking that um, <laughs> at the time. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Yeah, I just, I think as I say, I, I just liked it mainly because it was a very human story of, as I say, this one person and if you like, almost this kind of adopted family and the relationship he strikes up with the married mm-hmm. McDonald. I also just thought it was a phenomenal achievement for Costner to direct this. At the time, there weren't many actor-directors. I mean, it's become more familiar now to us. But this was an actual fact. Even though Costner was Costner was on the way up, but he wasn't. He hadn't hit huge stardom. You know, he'd done The Untouchables. I think he'd done Bull Durham. He'd done Field of Dreams. So he was on the way up. But this was before. You know, I mean, Robin Jeff, Hood it was before Robin yeah. Hood. JFK, it was before body, you know, so it's before he became huge. So Mm. whilst he had enough clout to try and make this, because it was a script that was written by a friend of his, and Costner famously almost discarded this friend because he was annoying a lot of Costner's friends in Hollywood because he was so desperate to try and get his scripts made. And I mean, it's a famous story. It was told really well on the Graham Norton show, if you look look that up, in a fantastic fairy tale story where this friend of his almost gave up and was staying at Costner's place. He was trying to do him a favour and he was working in a restaurant, washing up, and this mate of his, his life was going to go nowhere. And Costner told him, look, stop sending me all these scripts, just write something you really want to write about, whether it's one page, 10 pages, 50 pages, 100 pages. And so his wife actually eventually said look we've got to chuck this guy out of our house and Costin was forced to tell him he's got to leave and he sent him a script by this point Costner was quite annoyed with him in general and didn't bother reading it and then he called up and pestered him and said have you read the script and it turned out to be Dances with Wolves and apparently yeah. Costner just called him up and said you've done it brilliant so from that point he wanted to get it made but they couldn't get it made no studio would take it on and in fact he advised Michael Blake the screenwriter to turn it into a book and try to get it published he couldn't even they couldn't they couldn't get that happening either so Eventually, Majestic Films in Britain were the ones who actually stumped up the initial bit of cash to allow Costner just to basically start making this without even having the budget in place. He didn't even have the money and he couldn't get the money. So that's what I mean. He, he was he was big, but not big enough to get the money together from the studio. And eventually, Ryan Pictures came in and made it all happen. But there's so many things that went wrong with the film. The, I mean, that's the other big, big scene in this, isn't it? It's the Buffalo mm. sequence, which comes towards the end of the film. And apparently they literally had to herd all these buffalo for this particular sequence and they could only do it twice a day because logistically it was just so difficult because as soon as these buffalo started running within five minutes they've run like two three miles so they had loads and loads of logistical issues apparently with the temperature with the weather they had to shoot it in chronological order because of the, the way the seasons worked and just to get this thing made and then of course it had that long run 
runtime of over three hours. Initially, this was over five hours, and wow. he got it down to yeah, 187 minutes, I think it was. There is a longer mm. version. You know, Ryan wanted it shorter, but apparently he stuck to his guns, and I think fair play to him. Because it, it is a long watch. I watched it in two sittings, but I wouldn't say that's because it's not worthy of sitting down and watching the whole thing. It's just the way it worked out for me. Mm. Um, and the score... By John Barry is just beautiful. I mean, I, I can't get two of the bits of that score out of my head ever since we've mentioned Dancing with Wolves. It's just a stunning, stunning film. It's one of those films that just comes along and it's not surprising that it blows everything else out of the water at the Oscars. I mean, this was the year that Goodfellas, you could argue, should have won big. And Dancing with mm. Wolves came along with Kevin Costner, the writer as a director, actor, and just blew everything out of the water. It's an amazing, amazing business. But I, I'm a huge Costner fan. As I say, we did JFK recently. I love so many of his films. And I think if you kind of want to, you know, look back on Kevin Costner's career once he gets to the end, this surely, surely has to be the highlight, I, I think. Yeah, and I think he, he must know that as well because he has tried to direct some other Westerns or survival-style films, um, but not as much success as Dance of the Wars. He did The Postman. He's done Open Range as well. But what he's in today is in a TV series called Yellowstone, and he's the executive producer for that. And it's scoring 8.5 out of 10 on IMDb, so it's obviously quite a good Western. Western TV series. You don't get many Western TV series at the moment either, so slightly unusual. I like the Kev. He's he's a good guy as well. I, I like him. He went a bit quiet for a while as well, didn't he? So probably doing TV and trying to come up with his next Western movie. I mean, I liked him in The Bodyguard and apparently he spoke at Whitney Houston's funeral as well, so they're obviously good friends at the time when they did the film as well. And Field of Dreams is a, is a really good film and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves as well. But uh, this film cost $22 million to make so pretty small fry really not a huge amount but it made a whopping 424 million dollars worldwide gross and it's on a par actually with pretty woman which was a huge success the same year as well so the kev did good he did very good. I think the only other thing I found in terms of when I was watching this is I, in some ways I found it quite sad because there was an, an inevitability that the Sioux Indians and the, obviously the Indians in general, that their days were always numbered in so much as, and this was the running theme throughout the film, that Kicking Bird, played by Graham Greene, who was fantastic in it, yeah. was always one of the white men coming. Now, obviously, they completely trusted John Dunbar because he was very like, unlike anyone that they had met in terms of a white man who was clearly there just because he wanted to be friends and be part of their tribe in some ways and you know the, the character John Dunbar never really answers he kind of avoids that question and, and in some ways because he, he knows the answer and I, and I think you know it's only towards the end of the film that it gets raised again and I think that was obviously one of the sad things when you're watching it you know how things turn out historically and yeah I, as I say I kind of had that thought in the back of my mind all the time but I really liked it it's fantastic I just learned a lot about the culture, to be yeah, honest. And, yeah. and what I love is also the names of the characters in the film. Lieutenant Dunbar was Dancers with Wolves. That was his Indian name because he they watched him and he was playing with the wolves, basically. Uh, or this one wolf in particular. Yeah, Two Socks, wasn't it? Two Socks. Yeah, Two Socks. Oh, bless Two Socks. Very sweet Two Socks was. And then um, some of the actors' names. We've got Nathan Lee chasing his horse is an actor's name. He was in it. I just think it's beautiful that they, the Indian culture have these names wrapped around what they enjoy doing. I mean, Nathan Lane chasing his horse played. Smiles a uh, lot. Smiles, smiles a 
lot. Yeah. That's exactly that's yeah. what I was trying to find. And it, it's a beautiful name, though, isn't it? It's absolutely, like, absolutely. Yeah. And then there was like, we know, wind in his hair, ten bears. Mm, and really I really like the way that there was some of the tribe obviously were very suspicious of him. And then obviously by the end of the film, mm. it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite emotional yeah. towards the end. What is fascinating is when I watched News of the World, the girl lost her family and her hair was cut off, which is a very common thing to do. And somebody dies, you cut your hair off, basically. What I found fascinating is that the lady in this film, so Mary McConnell's character, who was stands with a fist, was her her Indian name, which I think is a, a brilliant Indian name. And she had really massive hair, massive 80s hairdo going on, a bit like a Cher kind of style, <laughs> massive hair, but less girls. And her husband died when he he had met her and there was no hair cutting there. So there was a slight difference there between either the tribe or it, they just didn't include that in the book, which Michael Blake was the writer of and also the screenplay as well. But And it was interesting to see the, the differences between the, the writers because that was based on a book as well, News of the World. World. Both in very enjoyable, I have to say. Go on then, Rob, what are you going to give it? I'm going to give it nine and a half out of ten. And the only reason I'm not giving it ten, and I don't know whether this is now being a bit older watching Costner films, I do find his delivery, it's kind of, it's almost, in some ways, it's almost, I almost find it a bit kind of caricature-like now. I mean, it's like Kevin plays Kevin Costner. Whatever he does, he speaks the same. It's a bit like when Jack Nicholson plays a character. It's Jack Nicholson talking. It's not like Wacky and Phoenix who inhabits a character. And sometimes, because I know, he, you know, he's reading a journal, the voiceover. I mean, obviously, we should mention there's obviously a voiceover yeah. in this. Yeah. And, it's, and so he's reading the diary that he's writing uh, in the film, as it were. Yeah, there were times when I kind of thought more could have been done with his delivery that I thought might have lifted it. But I mean, Craig, these are, this is just a really, really small point. Um, I do think it's... Hmm. Do you think if he had changed his accent or done something different, he would have got an Oscar? <laughs> he got nominated for an Oscar, but he didn't actually win it. Well, maybe that is why then. I, mm. I reckon that wouldn't surprise me that that is why, because... You know, whatever, it's it's Tuesday and then he talks like this and it's all on the same level. And I mean, it's the thing is, it's Costner. So it's not like it's not, it's not like he hasn't got a presence. It's not like it's terrible. Of course it's not. It's just, you hear that in every single film he does. And for a film, I think, to completely stand out and get a 10, everything has to kind of fit in place. And for me, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's a really small point. Um, it is a long film as well, but it is deserving of its running time, I, I, would, so. I would say. So I don't think you can mark it down for that. So, yeah, yeah. that's why I'm going to give it nine and a half. I wish I could have watched it on the big screen, though. Yeah, and I've, I, I probably did watch it on VHS or caught the snippets of it on the telly, but I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10. Boom! There we go. Boom. Awesome. And I'm surprised. I'm shocked that I, I'm giving it that because I, I went in there thinking, oh, it's a three-hour film. It's a Western. Yes, I know. I and, am surprised. And I loved it. I absolutely awesome. loved it. And I was at Nate, we went one with nature. I wasn't actually at all. <laughs> that makes it sound like I sat there watching it naked. Or <laughs> That's not what anyone was thinking until you've now said no, that. <laughs> Oh, we did see a bit of Kev's bare bottom, didn't we? But um, maybe that's why he got nominated for an Oscar. It was slightly different to his other... <laughs> maybe that's why he didn't win Best Actor, because he showed his ass. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, no, I just... It, it was very charming. It's good pace. 
although it was three hours long, it was it, I didn't bother me at all actually this time. And yes, I'm really surprised I'm giving it ten out of ten, but it is a really good watch. So it's on Amazon Prime. Go and watch it. Yes, whilst you can. We said this before. I think we said it when we picked it. This is very, very, very rarely available on yeah. on download platforms. I I imagine it's something to do with some rights issue. So yes, go and watch it whilst it's available. Yeah, it's great. So on to our new film for this week, which yeah, is which is Promising Young Woman, which is directed by Emerald Fennel. Written by Emerald Fennell. This is starring Kerry Mulligan. And interestingly, this is Emerald Fennell's debut feature. She plays Camilla Parker Bowles in The Crown, yeah. the recent series of The Crown. But she's also, she was a writer and producer on Killing Eve as well. Yeah. Well, so, I didn't realise that. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. So she really is hugely talented to be acting producing writing at what yep. appears to be relatively early kind of in in her career that's clearly going to be fantastic first time i saw her was in um call the midwife she oh, played patsy okay. yeah so that's the first time i saw her in that tv show i was looking at her credits and there are a few other ones that pop up that's like, mm. oh, okay, yeah, yeah yeah so yeah i mean and, and i think really actually from that point of view the, the oscars this year quite unusual there's a lots of female directors that are all vying i think for for big awards which obviously is fantastic because i'm obviously happens occasionally but it's always a criticism and so it's really great that this year hopefully is the year where that all changes in terms of what Mm. i knew about this film beforehand to be honest very little in fact i think you know i watched the trailer literally as we were deciding that we were gonna do this film in terms of the cast you know kerry mulligan obviously stars in it there are other actors in it that i now know were almost cast because they are known for certain roles and therefore it was very strategic in trying to kind of throw the audience in what you would expect from these particular characters. Anyway, so we have Kerry Mulligan who plays Cassie and we're introduced to her as a character who looks like she's in quite a strange place. She's really someone whose life could have been completely different. She was a bright high school student with a career in medicine. But one night changes all of that when she experiences the rape of her best friend, Nina, Mm -hmm. by a fellow classmate called Al. And sadly, this causes the subsequent suicide of Nina. And she's effectively lived with this ever since then. And her whole life is almost put on hold to, you could kind of say, avenge her death. Not not in a way that you would typically normally associate with this type of film, and I think that's what makes it interesting. So, you know, these facts come out relatively early. She's 30 years old now, and she lives with her parents. She doesn't have a boyfriend. She she has no professional ambitions. But this, this as I say, this kind of boring life that she has hides this kind of secret vocation. And this is what mm-hmm. we see straight away in what is a very tense, intriguing opening to the film. Basically, by night, she glams up, she goes to nightclubs, and is found passed out drunk 
drunk by men pretending to help her. And predictably what happens is on each occasion, the guy gets her into a taxi and you think he's going to be really nice. And of course, he ends up stopping off at his place and takes her up and, you know, they proceed to get frisky and the guy's really looking to take advantage of her. And this is basically an example of this happens in the very, very first scene. And it's really uneasy viewing because Mm. she suddenly, just as we don't expect it, turns out to be completely stone cold sober just at the point that the guy is looking to take advantage. And so really, without giving anything away, what ends up happening is, let's just say she makes them think twice about ever doing such a thing ever again. And I don't, we don't really need to go any further than that, other than it's quite difficult viewing, but not necessarily in a predictable way. So then whilst we start to understand that this is the life she has led, and this is her way of avenging the death of Nina, this really nice guy comes into her life, who happens also to be someone who was uh, in her year at school, comes into the cafe that she works in, a guy called Ryan, played by Bo Burnham, asks her out on a date. And it's strange. She then almost has this other life going on where although she's reluctant to get involved with him because of her whole opinion of men in general and what she's doing by night, if you like, she kind of lets her guard down. And briefly, you're, you, you know, it's almost like you think, oh, her faith in men has maybe been restored in so much as you have this small little element of the film, which almost feels at times like a little rom-com for a period of time and it's almost that mm. bit of bit of light with the dark that inhabits most of the film but then she learns of Al the guy who raped Nina and who obviously subsequently got away with it is coming back into town for his impending stag do so she's left with this situation where she's kind of going out with this guy and you think oh maybe she's actually considering putting all this chapter of her life behind this idea idea of avenging Nina's death because she's maybe met this really nice guy then she gets this news and so this urge for revenge effectively this opportunity to maybe intercept Al, let's just say it is Stagzu, is just too strong, it's too strong for her to ignore which it just sets up this really delicious, surprising climax of the film. I hope that doesn't give too much away I don't think it does because the main strength of the film, I think, is that it's not as obvious as you may think it is when when you think of a traditional revenge thriller, which makes it quite intriguing. So this was our watch along of the week. And before I ask Sarah what she thinks of the film, I'm just going to top up a nice glass of wine here because I cannot wait to hear what uh. you think. Because we had a very, as we always do, we have a brief conversation at the end of the film, but normally it's quite late at night, so we don't do too much back and forth. So this is the first opportunity I've got to hear what you think. Yeah, so we watched this and you were on WhatsApp and we were texting. What was funny is that halfway through the film, you're saying this is all too jolly in the middle of the film. We've got another the right hour to go or something. So something's going to go wrong. Anyway, I'm not sure whether I liked it or didn't like it, to be honest. Yeah. The reason why I disliked it is because of the topic that's about rape. And the reasons why I liked it is because Cassie's character was interesting, colourful and very well acted. We see a very different Kerry Mulligan in a completely different role here to comparison to how she plays her character in The Dig, Pride and Prejudice, 
the suffragettes. She's more in period dramas and this is more modern, upbeat kind of film for her. And she's normally plays a very prim and proper lady. And whereas this, she was kind of a bit more rough Southern American accent lady as well. I mean, I would say the style reminded me slightly at the beginning, only at the very beginning, I thought, is this going to be like a Tarantino movie style? But it didn't lead to that at all. And actually some snippets in it that reminded me very much of a of a teenage movie, I would say, which I think was where it let it down a little bit because it was where it was trying to be funny. It was almost teenagery movie style, I would say. I mean, at the start, it was quite shocking. I was like, going, oh, no, it's Adam Brody from, from the yeah. MC. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, no, he can't, he can't rape her. <laughs> That's not yeah, exactly. what Adam Brody does. And yeah. I was quite shocked by that. And it, it didn't result in that, but he was leading to that. So I was quite shocked, really, by his, his change of character as well in, in the film. But, yeah, fully in control she was. And she's always seen like a hero to, for women and giving them some comeuppance really on trying to prey on drunk ladies and having sex with them and things like that so she was seen as a a dark girl but also a very she was a hero at the same time I wouldn't say going around doing what she's doing is very heroic at the same time I wouldn't suggest that anyone does that I'm surprised she didn't get into all sorts of pickles to be honest because men are a lot stronger most men are a lot stronger than she would have been so I'm surprised she came out unscathed and a lot of the uh, going back to the gentleman's homes you're absolutely right so you wrote all these men's names in a notebook that you saw her crossing off and you write colors what was the color coding yes some some yeah some were in red weren't they it's a fair point that the, the situation she was putting herself in, you would have thought on occasion would result in mm. some kind of violence against herself. Maybe that were the ones in red. We don't know, do we? The reason why she was doing it were the reasons not... It related you know, to her, Nina, obviously, what happened to Nina. She's writing the names because nobody ne- remembered her, Nina's name as well. So she's remembering the, the men's names that she's kind of leading astray, you know, teaching them a lesson. Well, that's like it. This. So so, so the fact that she was teaching them a lesson, which if any man needs to be taught that lesson, by teaching them that lesson, it can only mm. be a good thing. The methods upon which she chose to do that were, yes, potentially spurious and in maybe in some ways threatening. But as you say, are they also not heroic in what she was at the reason yes. behind what she was trying to do? Because she was kind of really holding a mirror to them as opposed to, we as I say, I don't want to give too much away in terms of no, what happens no. in those scenarios, but... It but asks, she does come I mean, across very unhinged on, on occasions, definitely unhinged. Definitely unhinged, definitely unhinged. But I think that's because what is a very commendable message she is trying to get across to these men has turned into obsessive behaviour. And I think it's the fact that she's so obsessive in her methods and how long she's been doing it. I think that is the bit that's dark and disturbing for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she does all sorts of things and... There was one scene where she actually takes a child to go and torture almost the woman that wouldn't listen to Nina or to Cassie at the time when this had happened, where the rape had occurred and she just sort of didn't bat an eyelid and didn't do much about it. Um, when she tried to do something that could have been reciprocal to what her daughter could have gone through, just to be noticed a bit more, it, that was a bit like borderline. You're like, no, don't do that. I did cringe. I was rubbing my head a lot at that point. Going, no, don't do that. Um, so some of it's a bit of a hard watch. Some of it's quite entertaining. I did like the fact that there was that light moment in the middle of the film where she falls in love. But yeah, she at the same time, 
um, she doesn't really fully trust men and it kind of continues in that way really it's a gritty psychological thriller but a comedy at the same time set sort of 80s 90s teenage style on occasions but I think Kerry Mulligan is fantastic in it I can't I, I can imagine she'll get nominated for an Oscar for this I think she's already up for a Golden Globe for this as well which yeah. I think on the 1st of March the Golden Globes are revealed yeah. are you involved in that one as well Rob? <laughs> come on <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was a good watch. I do highly recommend watching it. I think the only thing I, I wanted to say is I loved the look of it. You you mentioned Tarantino, and that's what I was mm. thinking. The, the opening sequence, there's a specific scene where she's the morning after, shall we say, where she's mm. walking down the street. She's got this white kind of blouse top on, and there's this, there's these, let's just say there are these red stains. <laughs> on her but I mean and it has a real pulpy exploitation B-movie aesthetic to it and you know because the way she dresses as well, she has this, you know, it's like a kind of, I don't know how to describe it, like a bleach type kind of colour canvas, I would say. And Cassie, when she's playing these other personas, sometimes, you know, she'll have like very like almost like caked on makeup and lipstick and rainbow coloured hair. And and so there are scenes that are really very vibrant. I love that. And Mulligan herself, as you say, amazing performance. The, the actors I've almost find I have most respect for are those actors that can give you such a different performance. How like you talked about the dig. Now I haven't seen the dig, but I mean, I know the kind of performance that is. You know, I remember seeing Kerry Mulligan in Suffragettes and but actors who are able to do these journeys, yeah. but really you don't, you know, you just wouldn't know. I mean, I remember I was talking to someone about this film and said, isn't it so different to the dick? Oh, were they in the dick? Unbelievable. And and like yeah. I think she deserves everything she gets. And and for me as well, fair play to Emerald Fennel because yeah. it plays with your mind in so much as like this isn't a woman who, yes, you could argue she's simmering with rage, but she's not out there committing atrocities. That's not her way. Quite mm. clearly, the director is trying to say something here that's a far more nuanced, thoughtful commentary, if you like, on the kind of he said, she said rape culture. And it's so obvious she's more interested in getting under the skin of that mm. and, and almost asking difficult, tricky questions at the doorstep of men. And so I think that's what's so great it's almost like the mental scars that she's putting on these men they're not physical and Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I like it because yes there are loads of really fun twists and surprises as well especially towards the end as as it wraps up I suppose more kind of you know you could argue clever and fun Mm -hmm. but for me it's the conversation I suppose it's just trying to have with the audience the discussion it's trying to have the commentary that's what for me what makes it Mm -hmm. feel it's a cut above what could be something more run-of-the-mill. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. And I think it is so wrong, some of these women characters in this film, are so wrong because they were either watching or knew about what had gone on and they just turned away and just carried on as normal, didn't do anything about it, didn't support Nina or Cassie at all. And it's, it's actually quite shocking that some women just didn't even help you know, when it's twisted the other way, they then would do something about yeah. it. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. what she's doing. She's teaching them a lesson. She is seen as a hero and she's just giving them some comeuppance, basically. And also, would you not say, in terms of oh, what film should I watch tonight, there aren't many films like this. So I, I would seek it out purely from that point of view. Yeah, I mean, in terms of new releases that have come out, I liked One Night Miami, but this is great for very, very, very different reasons. Although, again, a very strong acting performance. So... Go on, I've rambled on with my with my very long footnote. So go on, go for it. 
Yeah, no, I did like White Tiger, which we reviewed um, the other yeah, week, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was really good. And I'm probably more of the White Tiger. If I was given a choice between the White Tiger and, and watching this, I probably would go for White Tiger because it's just so the topic is quite hard for a woman to watch, I think, because it's about rape and all okay. that kind of stuff. But I did think it was very well done, and I'm going to give it eight out of ten. I'm going to give it eight and a half out of ten. I was quite seduced by the whole style and look and feel of the film as well as all mm. the other stuff. So yeah, just a little bit, yeah, a little bit above that. Yeah, but awesome. I was trying to think if Kerry Mulligan didn't play this character, who else would play her? And it was probably Margot Robbie could have been another person that could have played that role or Scarlett Johansson, somebody like that. But Scarlett would, I think, would have been too old. It's interesting. When you said um, Margot Robbie... I mm. could not agree more. I would be amazed if Margot Robbie wasn't sniffing around this project in some form, because I could also see Margot Robbie playing that role so well. I guess it's pretty at the end, we we see Cassie dressed up as Harley. It almost looked like Harley Quinn. I don't, wasn't sure whether she was trying to imitate Harley Quinn. Yeah, maybe that was why it came up. Uh, maybe maybe that was she, in her I think, definitely think Margot Robbie would have been another person that could play. But uh, she did a great job, Kerry Mulligan. I definitely see an Oscar on its way for this one. Yeah. And potentially, whether Emerald Fennell, she will get nominated, I'm sure. She must get I'm not, nominated. I'm not sure whether she'd win it, though. No, um, I don't think she'll win, but she should get nominated. Yeah, yeah. We should have a little uh, vote on Oscar. We should, actually. In actual fact, because it's coming yeah. up, we should be thinking about doing something around the Oscars yeah without a doubt well, when we find out the nom- who's nominated we can then predict maybe we can we, have, we can have a little competition can't we we can make <laughs> our own predictions and see who wins yeah yeah, yeah. okay I like excellent. it excellent so the film for this week uh, we're going for I Care A Lot it's released on the 19th of February on Amazon Prime Video and it's got Rosamund Pike, Peter Dunklage, Isa Gonzalez, Diane Wiest, great actress, and Chris Mazzina as well. Do you want to tell yeah, the blurb? So say the blurb. A crooked legal guardian who drains the savings of her elderly wards meets her match when a woman she tries to swindle turns out to be more than she first appears. I'm already intrigued. This kind of dark, Mm. twisted thriller type thing going on in a similar vein, maybe to... Promising Young Woman. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Oh, no, I'm looking forward to it. I, I always like... I think Rosens Pike is brilliant in these kind of roles. Yeah, but Diane Weist is fantastic as yeah. well. She's a great yeah. actress. So, so that's our new film and our old film. I'm picking from your list this week. I'm going for comedy. Comedy. Okay. Comedy, comedy. I've got 21. 21. Okay, yeah. I'm going to go for number 17. Number 17 is... You look Air- worried. Airplane. It's airplane. It's airplane. It's airplane. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Do you know what? No, that's fantastic. I've been wanting to, I thought of airplane the other day and I haven't got it in my list. I was going to put it on there. Airplane's brilliant comedy. Airplane, exactly. Yeah, well, it's funny because I, you know, like so often when you're putting these lists together, you always have so many blanks in your memory. Like, oh, yeah, like a naked gun was the film. Like, suddenly, oh, yeah, I, remember, I love naked guns. So you put naked yeah. gun. Then you suddenly think, Oh, then you suddenly think of, oh, hang on, what about, oh, there's Airplane. So, you know, you put Airplane down. Um, Leslie Nielsen, isn't it? Yeah. It is, Leslie yes. This is this is the yeah, classic, classic. Um, Shirley line, isn't it? Yeah, they call me Shirley. Shirley. There you go. <laughs> um, okay, so Airplane from 1980. It's an oldie. Uh, it's an Aaron 28. Woo! 
directed by Jim Abrahams, David Zucker. Oh my God, there's a third director on board with this. Oh, yeah, it's his brother, or maybe Jerry Zucker. Anyway, so this stars Robert Hayes, Judy Haggerty, and Leslie Nielsen, amongst others. Yeah, I mean, it's Airplane. What more is there to say? It's an Airplane. You can rent or buy off YouTube, Google Play, and Amazon Prime. It's a classic. It is a classic. 7.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Is it really? Now, that's for IMDb for a comedy. That's good. Right. So, you, so you got any uh, plans for this weekend? Well, well, I caved in today and I decided to buy... Mm-hmm. I'm going to get some fish for the kids. I bought a fish tank. And I don't know whether oh. I'm going to regret this decision to start a foray into, like, I mean, temperate fish, cold water fish, but I might mm-hmm. it might end up going the tropical fish route. I live in a rented flat, so I'm lucky that I can't cave in to buy any, like, furry animals, uh, which is <laughs> fantastic. But, yeah. you know, so that's the news of the day in my household. And in terms of this week, plans... No, I haven't really thought what I'm going to be doing apart from the usual daily walks and runs and getting... It's cold, though, isn't it? But do you know what? Next week, I heard that it could get up to 17 (gasps) degrees. Oh, my goodness, tropical. This is... So get your shorts and T-shirts on. There you go. There you go. Baywatch. I'm thankful. (laughs) Yeah, next week, temperature's going up. And I, which is fantastic because let's face it, a pandemic is bad enough, but pandemic plus dreary rain, wind, oh, I can't stand it. I'm just desperate for some good weather. Makes you want to get on an airplane and go somewhere else. It does. See what you've done there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, just, it's really bad. But we just... can't get on an airplane at the moment. No, exactly. You can't get on an airplane. I've had a complete blank. What was the other film we were doing? What was the other film we were in this week? I've already forgotten. <laughs> I, I, Rob, Rob, I care a lot. Oh, that's not fair. Ah. That's not fair. I, I was trying to remember so I could, like, come back at you film, with your airplane. It was called I Care A Lot. <laughs> no. I know. Oh, damn, I missed out on an opportunity there. Ah, oh, there you go. Well, we care, a lot, we care a lot about our listeners, don't we, Sarah? We do, we do. <laughs> so if you enjoy and care a lot about our podcast... Have a glass of wine. Have a glass of wine <laughs> and go to the Facebook site and tell us, like and share. Absolutely. We, we love that. And I know we have many listeners on, on Apple Podcasts, et cetera, as well. So. Yeah. And I'm so, I, I think I have to put my hand up. Spotify. And- uh, Spotify, yeah, Spotify. Yeah, I, I'm just mm-hmm. sorry that by the time, if anyone listens regularly and they listen to this episode, they will have noticed a slightly longer break in between. So I do apologise for that. But sometimes work commitments, et cetera, et cetera. But it probably means they'll be too squeezed together. So Yes, but we are back. We, we are, are back. I'm yes. ready to watch some new great films and some oldies. So thank you very much, listeners. Thanks, Rob, for all your factoids again. Slip those in, when, even though you've had a really busy week. So thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. All righty, bye. Bye. Enjoy the wine. <laughs> I will. I will.